Uh, well, today uh, we are uh, back in the book of Daniel. Uh, and uh, given our time, where uh, this is a good thing probably, uh, very few, uh, you know, if we were to take a poll of people who have uh, taught through, preached through the book of Daniel, and come to the 10th chapter, how many people have given more than one message on this? That would be the interesting question. Because chapter 10, we're in chapter 10 of Daniel. Okay, chapter 10. And uh, uh, the way that the book of Daniel works, there's, it's in sections, really. Okay, so in other words, the first six chapters, I mean, you could even divide them up, but basically, the first six chapters uh, describes... Uh, how Daniel and his friends live in the diaspora, describes what it means to live, so to speak, uh, in the present but not yet, to live uh, with God as Lord and King in a world that does, not, that does not recognize the God of Israel as Lord and King. Then beginning in the seventh chapter, and in one way you would say from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 12, uh, are a series of visions of the future, of a literal uh, a kingdom that will be uh, established, the kingdom of God established in this world, uh, and uh, how the kingdom of God overtakes all of the kingdoms of the, of the world. And we have said in our, in our messages in chapter 7 and in chapter 8 and in chapter 9, how those different kingdoms, in a way, they, they speak about specific kingdoms, but they really, in a way, represent all world empires, uh, culminating uh, in the empire or kingdom of God with Yeshua physically, literally, uh, you know, uh, living in this world again. Uh, uh, but we know that when uh, Yeshua uh, came, he inaugurated, he began... Uh, this uh, kingdom in, in an invisible uh, form, and that when we embrace Yeshua, we enter in to uh, uh, this uh, this kingdom and the lordship uh, of uh, of God, and we're called to uh, live that way. Here in chapter ten, uh, what you have now is we can subdivide this actually. That Daniel chapter ten, eleven, and twelve is a section. 10, 11, and 12. And what's going to happen here in these three chapters is that uh, Daniel is going to receive another vision of that, that's going to give him, uh, you might say, like a magnifying glass view of the other visions. In other words, what you have in chapter 7 and you have in chapter 8 and then at the end of chapter 9 are huge overviews, big expanses of time. What you're going to have in chapter 10, 11, and 12 is actually, this is what's going to have, there's a type uh, that, uh, of, uh, of a future and then the actual future. And what is going to be described is a, a great conflict in detail. Some of this conflict, from Daniel's point of view, was to take place in the near future, as a type of the distant future. From our point of view, looking at this book of Daniel a lot, you know, many years, many years after it was written, we can look back on how this 
we, we will see a type of this conflict, and we, and we also, like Daniel, look forward to the actual fulfillment of this conflict. Okay? But as we'll see at the very beginning here, this vision is, about, is true and it's about a conflict. <laughs> okay? That's quite clear uh, from the text. Now, chapter 10 itself is an introduction, really, to chapter 11 and 12. It serves as an introduction. What's going to happen in chapter 10 is Daniel, we're going to see Daniel's state of mind, Daniel's state of being, and how he receives uh, um, uh, the beginnings of this vision in the form of a person speaking to him. And then in chapter 11 is what the speaker says to him, and, and also in chapter 12. Okay, But now here in chapter 10, we see it's the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now, Cyrus, the third year of um, the third year of Cyrus. So that means, <coughs> excuse me, he's had these other visions, uh, and also, interestingly enough, the first wave of Jewish people have returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. But Daniel, maybe because he was an old man at this time, we don't know why, he did not return. But the third year of Cyrus means that the first wave of people have returned, Ezra and Zerubbabel. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, let me tell you why that's kind of interesting. That's interesting because uh, uh, one would think that when you read Isaiah and you read Jeremiah, you know, and you read Hosea and you read all those prophets, that after the return from the Babylonian captivity, this is it. When we return to the promised land, you know, it's free ice cream for everybody. You know, it's, it's going to be uh, the, new, the new age. It's going to be the, the wolf and, and the lamb laying down. To, uh, no more conflict, no more problems. Uh, but it became quite clear as soon as the people returned that this, this wasn't it. And you see, by the grace of God, Daniel is given this vision to show him that, yeah, that's, that's right. It hasn't happened, okay? Because this is what's going to happen. He saw it in chapter 9, by the way, the end of sin. You know, it says that, that at, the end of, um, at the end of this whole vision is the end of sin. It's the end of iniquity and, and all of that. Uh, and certainly that has not happened. So now in, in chapter 10, uh, we see Daniel's state of mind. He's very upset, and, uh, and now he's going to receive this other vision. Okay, So it says here in chapter 10, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a messenger was revealed to Daniel. Uh, uh, a message, not message, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an, uh, an understanding of the vision. Okay? Now, that's like the introductory sentence to the next three chapters. So it tells us Cyrus was the king. And interestingly, also, it reminds us of Daniel's Chaldean name, his Babylonian name. We haven't heard that name since the fifth chapter. Perhaps it's there to remind us that he's still in exile, that while People have returned. Some, some of the Jewish people have returned. The, major, the vast majority stayed in Babylon for hundreds of years to come. And 
Perhaps it's reminding us that this is still the exile, even though people have returned, still the exile. Now, now we see uh, Daniel speaks in the first person. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. <coughs> and if you remember from chapter 9, we said this, I referenced this verse. This literally says in Hebrew, weeks of days. So it's days, it's like 21 days. Okay? He's been mourning. And he describes that morning. I did not eat any tasty food, nor, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. So <clears throat> perhaps he was mourning because he had received word that the people had returned to a very bad situation. Or perhaps uh, Daniel... Uh, is mourning because there's still an exile. There's still Jews in Babylon. Whatever it is, we know that he needed encouragement. Okay? And so he's mourning, and we can see that he's uh, either fasting or he uh, is simply acting in such a way as if someone has died. Okay? Now it says, And on the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet were the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. So that's a very interesting uh, description. As he looks up and has this vision, and uh, he looks up and he has this vision of this person. Now, <clears throat> we won't take the time, but of course, we will take the time in our MSI course on Daniel, but I'll just tell you that if you read the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, for example, if you read uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, or you read Ezekiel uh, chapter 9, uh, you will see some similarities uh, to this description. Also, if you look at the first chapter of the Revelation of John, you'll see some similarities. Okay? And uh, people throughout the ages have wondered and have asked themselves, who is this person? Right? What we're going to see here in this chapter is that there are possibly two individuals in this chapter. Maybe one, but maybe two. We don't know for sure. We certainly wouldn't want to get dogmatic on this. But it seems that here there is this vision of, of like the, the, either the glory of God being manifested in a vision of the Lord himself or... Uh, a vision simply of the glory of God being manifested in, a, in an angel. Now, uh, it's interesting in the Jewish world, uh, just like oftentimes in a Christian world, there's differences of opinion about who this is. Some believe this is actually, uh, this could be Gabriel, who's already been around here, okay? Or that Gabriel is coming up. Uh, as the man who uh, touches his shoulder, or that this is a vision of, of God or, or an angel. The point for us is that 
he, he, he looks up and he sees this being. Okay, that's what's important to us. Now, first of all, it's not like Daniel is just walking down the street one day and he has this vision, right? Daniel has been mourning for three entire weeks. It seems like he's, he has been, uh, he has perhaps taken some kind of vow uh, or he has uh, been fasting. Uh, whatever the case may be, it's as a result of this state of being that he sees uh, this heavenly figure. Okay? So I think that in and of itself is important because we know from the beginning of chapter 9 also, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 9, we see uh, Daniel's um, state of being also in verse 3. He says he's going to be praying, right? Remember that? He's going to be praying about the end of this captivity. And he says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting sackcloth and ashes. Those are signs and symbols of mourning. Okay? Now, in chapter 10, the, exo- the, the, uh, the beginning of the return has taken place. And now he says, I've mourned, I've been mourning for three entire weeks. So it seems that Daniel is still in that same frame of mind, uh, perhaps still interceding and confessing sins. But whatever it is, it's not like he's uh, just rejoicing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Lord, and then has this magnanimous vision. No, he's like down for the count, and he has this vision. Okay. Now, notice here, also, uh, how he describes uh, the man and himself, beginning in verse 7. Now, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Okay, so notice, by the way, it's a vision of the person. Okay, he says it like five times, right? Okay. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So it's very interesting. It kind of reminds you of Paul, you know, uh, on the Damascus Road where he sees a vision of the Lord. But he's the only one who sees it, but everybody knows something's going on, right? It's sort of like that kind of thing happening here, all right? So he has a vision of this heavenly figure, perhaps the Lord himself, okay? Okay. Uh, and uh, and that the the atmosphere is such that great dread fell upon them, and that also reminds us a little bit of Isaiah in his uh, vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter six. It seems that when people have visions of the Lord, it's not like they're jumping for joy. It seems like they're on the ground, you know. And uh, and isn't it true that the closer whether one has a vision or not, the closer one gets to God, the more we see ourselves for who we really are and our great need of God. Uh, and so it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? One of those great get-in-line paradox. Many of the many paradoxes uh, in the Bible that the cl- you would think the closer you get to God, the more it's like uh, nirvana or something. No, the closer we get to God, the more we see our need of him the more, that, uh, the more that we're humble, the more that we rely on him, 
and, and of course, the more that we uh, trust him. It just seems, and it's just an observation, that it's so different from the way that we as Messiah followers often conduct ourselves. It just seems to be different. You know, oftentimes what we're doing is uh, the louder we sing and the happier we are, that I'm closer to the Lord. But it seems in the Bible, when people get really close to the Lord, there's a sense of awe that comes upon them, you know? So it's very interesting. All right. Uh, so we see here, So I, le- I was left alone and saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallet, and I, and I retained no strength. Praise the Lord! Yeah. Uh, so he's having this encounter with God, and basically he says, I turned white as a sheet, you know, and I had no strength, and I was on the ground. I mean, you can get a picture of that. You know, I get a picture of that of just like, like I am in, dre- uh, I am in the, the presence of the glory of God, and I have no strength left, you know. Uh, and then we see here, but I heard the sound of his words. And as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Okay. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem. Man of high esteem. That's a very interesting word in Hebrew. It means something to the effect of highly desired man. Uh, high... Uh, precious man, not just uh, someone who's looked upon very well, man of, of righteousness, you know, of no reproach, but precious man, okay? Understand the words I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling, okay? Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart in understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. So we see whether it's talking about these three weeks of mourning in chapter 10 or going to the beginning of chapter 9, this demeanor of Daniel, this humility, this intercession, this sense of mourning over the sins of the people, evidently is very precious to God, very precious to God. See, and what this tells us about the way God views us is that it's not about whether you can keep a tune. It's not about how, um, it's not about one's oratory skills. It's not about uh, what size clothes we wear. It's not about the size of the auditorium. It's not about what street you're located on. It's not about all of those things that we usually judge whether we like something or not. God sees the heart of Daniel, and God says, you are precious. You're precious. Not just righteous, but precious. You know, think about what, what that word, the baggage that goes with that word. Precious. Valuable. That is how God views Daniel in his mourning. Now, Daniel doesn't see himself like, look at, Daniel is like, he's sick, you know, he has no color. He's on the ground. He's mourning. He's not eating right. You know, all of that. God sees him as precious. See? So one of the things we learn, I think, in the beginning of this chapter 
is we need to value the right things when it comes to what God finds valuable and precious. God found Daniel's mourning, Daniel's humility, Daniel's desire for godliness, Daniel's desire to be able to, he trusted God that there was an end and a desire to know it, okay? Uh, this God finds uh, uh, precious. Yet, Daniel is not speculating. Daniel is, is not, um, uh, you know, looking for a big audience. Daniel uh, isn't doing any of those things. But he's, he's praying to God. He's praying to God. In this whole event, he's praying to God. Okay? All right. Uh, so we see uh, Daniel is a man of high esteem. And Daniel is going to receive this information and understand the words I'm about to tell you. And then he says, stand up, for I have been sent to you. Okay? And so Daniel stands up trembling. In other words, I, you know, perhaps um, Daniel don't... We could look at that and say, Daniel, stand up. Or perhaps it's Daniel, stand up, because you don't have to be afraid. Okay, oh, look what it says in verse 12. Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to your words. I've come in response to your words. You know, we'll talk about this another time, but words play a very important role in, in all of this. Uh, Daniel... Uh, uh, is visited upon because of the words he says. And we see at the beginning uh, that Daniel hears words. Daniel hears words, and we see that Daniel's words were heard. So there's this communication uh, that, that is taking place. Uh, and so we see, uh, that again, uh, the place that Daniel has and this message that he's going to receive. Now, very quickly, if you go all the way to verse 19, verse 19, and he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. As soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And so we see here that, uh, again, Daniel is, is referred to as this precious man, at the beginning of the speech and at the end of the speech, uh, a precious man. Take courage, be courageous. And so, uh, for us, what do we learn from this? May we approach God with that same kind of tenacity that Daniel does, and that same kind of import, uh, you know, uh, coming before God, interceding on behalf of others, confessing uh, the sins of ourselves and our community and our people, recognizing, looking around and seeing the times that we live in and mourning over it, and, and, and not just wringing our hands and mourning over it, but mourning over it and dropping down before God and say, God, explain to me what's going to happen. Uh, Lord, I trust in you, uh, uh, Lord, and have that kind of attitude. Be praying, interceding. God finds that precious, and he knows our heart. And when we come before him with that kind of attitude, that kind of demeanor, that kind of heart, he will indeed speak into our lives. He will indeed intercede into this world. And so let us be people of, of, people of prayer. 
Let us be again like a Daniel. May God be able to say about us, precious one. You know, we do read in the Gospels, uh, you know, when we apply this uh, passage to ourselves that we would love to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, you know. Well, while we're living in this world, while uh, we are servants of Messiah making a difference in this world, may we be viewed by him as precious, just like Daniel. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you, uh, Lord, as we see in the beginning of this, Daniel's demeanor, and uh, Lord, how Daniel prays, and how much Daniel loves you, and how you ministered to him. You understood his heart, you understood his pain and his anguish, and how you spoke into his life. Thank you, Lord, that he was able to look up and there was a vision, Lord, a vision of your glory, a vision of your presence, a vision to tell him that he's not alone, a vision uh, that uh, also that you're not, even, you're not finished with him yet, uh, Lord, and nor were you finished with Israel, as we'll see, uh, Lord. And we thank you, uh, God, that uh, even though Daniel had been living in Babylon for a really long time, most of his life, and even though we're reminded of his uh, Chaldean name, you, the God of Israel, spoke into this Jewish man's heart, living far away from Jerusalem, and you gave him these precious messages to this precious man. Lord, we thank you. What a model he is for us. And we pray in Yeshua's name.